so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. You're listening to the ERLC podcast. Do you think Rome, I mean, the Romans spoke English with a British accent? Maybe. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I do not think so. (laughs) Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC podcast, where each week we'll be talking about our work at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians should know about the things going on in the world. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and with me this week, I have not only Brent Leatherwood, say hello, Brent. Hello, everyone. But also our colleague in DC, Hannah Daniel. Hey, Hannah. Hey, it's good to be with y'all this week. We are so glad to have you, despite the technical difficulties that we are running in on the running into the they front were, end of the show. Yeah, they were pretty bad this week. <laughs> <laughs> it was looking pretty bleak, but you powered through it. So thank you for sticking around. So we are glad that you're here. And this is a special episode of the ERLC podcast because this week we released our 2023 public policy agenda where we talk about what we are advocating for. And there is nobody better to help explain this and to talk to about it than you, Hannah. You and Brent wrote this together. You are intimately familiar with the things that we are passionate about and how we are representing Southern Baptists and other Christians on the Hill. So we just want to start a conversation with you about this important policy agenda. Yeah, and I think it bears mentioning this is one of our bigger projects each year. And to provide some like context for that, Hannah, you started uh, initially thinking about this like at the end of November and mm-hmm. really started beginning to to flesh it out in in December. So you you've th- this represents multiple weeks of of work on your part and some other teammates' uh, part. Mm-hmm. Start us out by just uh, describing the categories in which these priorities are broken into. Yeah. So most of our work happens within kind of four larger categories of issues. So. First of those is religious liberty. Second is the sanctity of human life. Third is marriage and family issues. And then the fourth is issues of human dignity. So generally, all of the issues that we work on, I think there's over three dozen uh, listed in this agenda. They fall within those four broader categories that really shape and help us think through what issues are within our scope of work and which are outside of it. Well, and before uh, we continue to talk about this, I just wanted to mention that our marketing team did a fabulous job uh, working on making a landing page for this. So it's erlc.com backslash policy. And of course, we'll include a link. But you can look to the right of the page at the top, and you can click on those topics or those categories that you just mentioned. And it will take you to more information about that particular topic. 
Well, you're right to highlight that. And that presentation on ERLC.com, it really makes the the public policy agenda really accessible for folks, uh, you know, particularly because of those four larger categories that uh, Hannah mentioned. Uh, folks can jump right into our priorities as it you know, relates to life or uh, human dignity and, and just see some of the policies and policy solutions that we're advocating for with members of Congress and, and elsewhere. So I think hopefully folks will notice just a slight difference in presentation. And that's part of what we're trying to do more and more is make our resources uh, more accessible uh, for individuals. So, Well, one of the first questions I would have is, why does a resource like this matter to lay people in the church to everyday Southern Baptists like myself who are, I don't live in D.C., I don't necessarily advocate on the Hill, and I'm not particularly familiar with a lot of the things that are going on in D.C. as it relates to these topics. What would you say to me, Hannah? Yeah, so I think a document like this is a really great kind of introduction to the work of the ERLC that we do here, especially our work in Washington So I would say that this kind of document is a helpful introduction for members of our churches. As Brent is fond of saying, we are are your ERLC, and we want to be helpful in helping you understand what we're working on, why it matters to Southern Baptists. And so a document like this is a great kind of 30,000-foot entry point into um, the work that we're doing here in Washington. And so you're able to look in one place and say, well, I really care about religious liberty issues. What's going on with that? How is the ERLC being involved? And so you're able to look and in one place find all of the different things that we're doing in regards to that issue. And you're able to see what we're doing with Congress, what we're doing with the administration, how we're responding to relevant Supreme Court decisions, all of those things in one spot. And so I think this is a really helpful tool for people who maybe don't follow politics 24-7, as as you totally should. But I think this is a really great place for you to just get a quick look at what are we doing, what matters. I think to the the news and media, it's so easy to get lost in all of the noise of this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. And it's difficult to sort through and find what really matters, what actually really has an impact in the lives of our churches, lives of our church members, what's important. And so I think this kind of document can really sort of sort through some of that noise and say, these are what we see as really top priorities for the next year. And just to uh, underscore a few things and maybe uh, add on to a little bit of what Hannah said, A, I think uh, this document is is helpful in one way for for folks that you know sacrificially give to the cooperative program and and fund our work, which we're so grateful for. Uh, and the the reason um, I say that it it's helpful is because it really connects the things that that we say we believe as a convention, our Baptist faith and message, that is our you know statement of faith, our resolutions. Uh, that we pass each year at our our annual meeting, that we come together and say, hey, these are these are the things we think are important right now. And it connects those things that we do together as a convention with the work of the RLC, because we we believe that all of those things I mentioned, those inform and empower our work. And so this document tries to build that bridge between these are 
our priorities. These are these are what we have set as a convention. Uh, we we want there to be engagement on in the public square, and this helps tether that to actual policies that are either moving through Congress or uh, actually, in some cases, need to be opposed. We do quite a bit of that in the public policy agenda. And so I think in that sense, it's a really helpful tool to help that pastor or that that individual in the pew uh, see how we are carrying out this work that, again, is being informed by our convention. And then the other thing I was going to say is, Though this this is a pretty, uh, each year, it's a pretty dense document. I mean, it comes out to about 15, 16 or so pages. Uh, so it's it's pretty uh, broad in the number of uh, public policies that it, that it covers. It's not actually an exhaustive list. It doesn't cover the entirety of all that, that Hannah is doing or all that we are doing in Washington, D.C. But it, it really offers a helpful snapshot of some of the nature of the conversations and uh, parameters of the policies that that we are advocating for on, on Capitol Hill. So what I'd like to know from y'all and what I'd love to hear is if you could highlight some of the top things, top priorities for us to be aware of in each category that you feel like would be a particular interest to Southern Baptists. Yeah, so starting with um, that religious liberty kind of bucket of our work, a couple of things that I would call out. One would be supporting conscience protections for healthcare workers in particular. Um, This is something that we really have talked about as being a distinctly Baptist concern and something that we really are heavily involved in. So as our culture has really shifted on issues around life and sexuality and gender, we're seeing healthcare workers and medical professionals um, increasingly being put in positions where they are having to make really difficult choices about, can I participate in this procedure? Or um, even recently with an FDA decision um, that is now putting the abortion pill into local pharmacies, even pharmacists are having to make these really difficult decisions of, can I be involved in handing out this prescription? Or Can I be involved in a gender-affirming care or whatever that might be? Um, We are just seeing an ever-increasing threat to conscience protections for healthcare workers. And so this is something that we are really watching closely. We're looking for legislative solutions here. We're also engaging with the administration through um, what's called public comments um, on several regulatory changes in this arena. So this is something that I really anticipate being a top priority for us this year. Another thing We care about religious liberty, not just at home, but also abroad. And we want to continue our work on behalf of the Uyghurs in China. The SBC was the first Protestant denomination to rightly call what's happening to the Uyghurs in China a genocide. And we've been heavily involved in advocating for protections for the Uyghurs, both for Uyghurs that are able to escape China and for the United States to do more in countering China morally Um, And so we want to be on the front lines, not just caring for people like us here in the United States, but also for those around the world who are experiencing persecution because of their religious beliefs. Yeah, so while we're focusing on uh, religious liberty, uh, obviously uh, one highly anticipated case, and it's covered here in the public policy agenda, is responding to the 303 creative case. We've talked about it previously on the podcast, but it involves a uh, website creator in Colorado where the state of Colorado has come and said she must create 
uh, and design websites that celebrate gay marriage. And she's saying, hey, I, I refuse to do that, um, not just because of her conscience, as Hannah was talking about before, which is a, a huge part of religious liberty, but also for free speech. Uh, she doesn't want to be forced to say something uh, that, that she doesn't believe in. And so that case, we're expecting that later this summer. Uh, we've got a section under religious liberty about this because it is a high priority for us. And another way that this plays out to kind of move into the next category of life, when uh, Hannah and I were just recently having some meetings on Capitol Hill, we talked about conscience protections that she mentioned, but we also talked about pro-life riders continuing to be uh, a part of spending bills that come out of Congress. For years, they have been a source of, of bipartisan support because both Republicans and Democrats realized, hey, uh, taxpayers who don't support abortion, they don't need to be a part of this and therefore violate their conscience. And uh, recently, that has really started to break down. And uh, we were meeting with Democratic leadership to say, hey, this needs to be something that you all support uh, once again on your side of the aisle. And so that's, you know, just another, we've got a section in, in here on life uh, where we talk about the importance of these riders and why they need to continue to be supported on a, on a bipartisan basis. And I can just add one thing there and within this life section, this is our first policy agenda happening in a post row world. And so while we, as we've talked about so much of the conversation around protecting life in our laws has shifted to the states, that doesn't mean that there's not a role for us to play here at the federal level as well. Um, we are looking at how can we restrict abortion at a federal level, but also how can we regulate things like abortion tourism or the abortion pill. So I just think that's an important note to make that, yes, we want to support pro-life state laws and work for that in any way that we can, but we also still have a role to play here in Washington. Well, under the family and marriage category, especially talking about being in a post-Roe world, one of the priorities that stands out to me is supporting pro-family policies in a post-Roe world. And that is something that, Hannah, you wrote about in our latest issue of Light Magazine. So will you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah. So we really have been trying to think about how can we protect life um, really from a, a holistic perspective? Not only how can we restrict and um, eliminate access to abortion within our laws, but also how can we address those key drivers that are causing women to look around and to seek out an abortion in the first place. And so um, I think a really key part of that has to be looking at how we can better support families. Families are the most foundational unit of our society and they're something that should be prioritized within our policy. And so we want to look at policies that can remedy marriage penalties, empower abortion vulnerable women to choose life, um, and really just provide baseline levels of support for new parents. And so in 2022, the SBC passed a resolution that urged us to focus on pro-life and pro-family policies that both serve and support vulnerable women, children, and families um, in hopes of eliminating, um, and I quote, any perceived need for the horror of abortion. And so I think this really is a key part of our work um, moving forward, looking for policies that are both pro-life and pro-family. And looking a little bit further down, something else I would highlight that's not actually taking place uh, with Congress or uh, in, in front of the U.S. Supreme Court is something that happens in front of the administration, and that uh, has to do with the State Department. Uh, we've got a section in here about 
uh, ensuring intercountry adoption remains a viable option. And the last several years, this number has just fallen precipitously. We note in there that in the fiscal year 2021, only 1,785 children were welcomed into families through intercountry adoption. And, you know, this is important to us because, A, we know so many families uh, within uh, our broader SBC Convention of Churches where, where families are uh, wanting to uh, adopt children uh, that are in international context, but because of this just dramatic decline uh, in these pathways, that's just not able to happen. And so a part of our advocacy is is going in front of the State Department and saying, this needs to be bolstered once again and and put on the front burner. Look, there's a, there's a lot going on uh, around the globe, uh, but ensuring that that families who want to welcome children are able to do so should be a, a huge priority. And we just have one more uh, bucket to discuss, human dignity. So what would be one item that you'd like to highlight from that category? Well, I'll start this one, Hannah. I mean, we kind of left off 2022 in this particular area because there was a brief, albeit fleeting moment, uh, where it seemed like there might be a framework emerging for some sort of bipartisan deal to emerge on immigration reform and border security. It all fell apart, and and we suspected as much because it it came up at such a late hour prior to Congress adjourning. But we're, we're still supportive of the principles that were there, which was matching uh, significant levels of funding for enhancing border security, including the the building of of new processing facilities, which are desperately needed by our law enforcement and and border security personnel to actually help individuals who are encountered at the border go get through the system. And it matched those sorts of items with uh, a deal on uh, DREAMers, uh, who are our neighbors uh, who were brought here as children. They had no real decision in the matter. It was their parents that brought them here. And really, all they've ever known is the American context. Uh, and now these folks are, you know, running businesses and uh, employed next to us. And in many cases, they're worshiping next to us in our churches. And they need uh, a solution, a permanent solution to, to be able to become uh, citizens here in, in America. And, and so that is definitely uh, at the, well, towards the top of our list in this human dignity bucket because uh, it's it's the right thing to do. And the SBC has long called for a solution in this area. And, and we think uh, that is something where Congress really needs to take action. Yeah, and an, another one that I would highlight um, in this area um, somewhat relatedly is we have consistently now for years been advocating for rebuilding our refugee resettlement program. Um, this past year, President Biden set a goal of resettling 125,000 refugees to the United States. And um, unfortunately, though, we only successfully resettled about 25,000 individuals. Um, and this is happening at a time of unprecedented levels of displacement around the world. Um, and so we really need to do creative, important work in investing in our refugee resettlement system, trying to rebuild the network of nonprofits and community organizations and staff at federal agencies that are involved in processing these individuals and getting them to safety quickly. Um, And so we've seen just tremendous backlogs happening in the resettlement system, which then has led to all of these ripple effects, even in in some ways what we've seen with 
um, Afghans having to be brought here through a different system. And we've even seen some people at our southern border who are traveling there because they have been unable to be processed through the resettlement um, system in a timely manner. And so this really is such an important piece of our role as the United States being a place of refuge and safety for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Um, And so we're going to continue to advocate for fully restoring the refugee resettlement system and really our our place in the world as a as a beacon of hope for those fleeing persecution. Hannah, that's great. I I, I appreciate that that sort of overview. And we talked a little bit earlier about you know why this should matter for you know Baptists who are in the pews. Uh, but uh, give folks a little peek behind the curtain. How do you, as you know, our, our teammate right now that is engaging uh, with members of Congress and the administration? How do you envision using this resource that we've created? Because it's it's not just for the church. It's also from the church that we are offering this to our elected officials. How are you planning to use it a little bit? Yeah. So one thing I love about this document is that it gives such a comprehensive look at the issues that we work on. Um, And so one thing I appreciate about that is that when I can send this to a member of Congress and say, hey, look, I have 37 different options for you of ways we can partner and work together. We may not agree on 36 of them, um, but if there is one area where we can find some agreement, I am I'm open and willing and happy to work with you to move forward and to make progress in that direction. And so I really love that this document has such a broad overview of our work and we're able to send it around to partner organizations, to offices on the Hill to say, hey, here's all of these different areas where we're hoping to make progress. Where can we find agreement? Where can we work together? Where can we pull our resources to be able to have a greater impact and really move the ball forward in these areas. Thanks for that, Hannah. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, we're releasing this at a, at a very important time because next week is the annual State of the Union address that would be given by President Biden. While we don't uh, fully expect uh, his remarks to line up uh, with our public policy agenda it at least gives a sense of what we are advocating for and the the solutions that we think will uh, best push the ball forward in these in these specific areas and and so there's a bit of a purposeful timing with this and obviously one of the places that that we'll be sharing it with is is with the white house well and y'all have done such incredible work on this and the discussion was just reminding me of an article that we have up on our site by our colleague Jordan Wooten and it's titled, Can Christians Make It in American Politics? And really just talking about our interaction on the Hill and um, the influence that we pray to have, I wanted to read this closing paragraph. Of course, he's asking the question, and then he says the short answer is, yes, Christians can and should continue to serve in politics. We can and should expect to make it with our integrity intact, though doing so likely won't come without a cost. American politics is ripe for renewal and transformation, but transformation won't come unless men and women of integrity, principle, and courage enter Washington as pilgrims of a different sort. American politics is broken, and our only shot at repair is by a retrieval of the morality and virtue that Adams and Madison believed were prerequisites to the health of our republic. Indeed, the only way forward, the only way toward renewal is by the spirit whose fruit is precisely what American politics needs— And it just reminds me of the many believers that we know that are working in politics, the ERLC's work, and especially you, Brent, and you, Hannah, as you are engaging with these issues. And I just look forward to 
the fruit that the Lord is going to cause to come about because of the fact that we seek to proceed by a different way, and that's the way of the Spirit. Just a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about today in the show notes. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media or going into your favorite podcast app and leaving us a rating and review. The ERLC podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is hosted by Lindsay Nicolay and Brent Leatherwood. Technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more content. Mm-hmm.